You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Father Damien was a priest from Belgium, and he could have had a really cushy, pleasant life because his calling was to minister to people on the islands of Hawaii. The problem was he had this connection with the people of Molokai. His heart went out to them. I mean, really, if you knew anything about Molokai, it was this rocky, barren, desolate island that was inhabited by lepers who'd been banished there from all the other islands. And in 1873, Father Damien decided he was going to move to Molokai. He knew that the minute he set foot on that island, he'd never be able to leave there ever again. So when he got there, he started working. And he immediately challenged the people who were living there who had long since lost hope. He challenged them to help him build the old hospital back up and so that they could care for those who were in worse shape than they were. See, before Father Damien had arrived, the atmosphere, the culture on Molokai was harsh. If nobody cared about the lepers, why should they care about themselves? So if someone got gravely ill, they just ignored them. And if someone were to die, they would just haul their body to the town dump. In fact, sometimes people were too quick to throw a person out. And one day, Father Damien was walking by the dump when he saw something move, and then he heard a noise, and he went to check. And there in the garbage, he found a man who was sent to his grave while he was still alive culture there was was tough. But with Father Damien's compassionate leadership, the residents there adopted medical programs, agricultural ventures. They had a sanitation policy. They even set aside some land to develop a cemetery. Safe to say that Father Damien made a big splash in the lives of the lepers of Molokai. Big Splash is the name of our series, and it means to make a significant difference in another person or person, group of people's lives. That might mean that you just need to fix something, or you just need to meet a need, or maybe you just do something that blesses someone. But that's a big splash. It's a metaphor we've been using. That's the way we've defined it. Make a significant difference in someone's life. Let me give you a couple examples. Maybe if you wanted to make a big, big splash at your kid's school, you go and provide breakfast for all the teachers just one day. It would be a big splash. Or maybe you volunteer to tutor elementary kids in reading. You do that one hour a week for a year. Or take flowers to the residents in the nursing home that's closest to where you live. Or give a gift card to the kid or the adult who coaches your children in soccer or baseball or basketball? Or what if you were today to anonymously buy the meal for someone in the restaurant where you're going to eat who looks like, of all the people in that place, they're the one who needs a blessing the most? Or maybe you could get real crazy and just pay off the mortgage for a single mom's home. That'd be a big splash. 
You see, there are people in this world that you're going to impact who you have that opportunity to touch in a way that no one else can. Certainly, my path has not, I've not been privileged to have it cross their path, but you have. And you can make a difference. And God has called us to have that kind of impact in the lives of others all around us. As we talked about last week, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think Paul's point here is a simple one. You should live our lives in ways that make others feel important, feel valued, feel as though they matter. And we do this by looking out for interest in their lives, things that are important to them, things that they value, things that are significant. One of the best ways that a person can make a big splash in another person's life or a group of people's lives is by just meeting a specific need that they have. And the key point in this talk today is how we could do that in a unique way, through service. Make a big splash by meeting a need through serving. Serving can make a significant difference in another person's life, and it doesn't necessarily have to cost you even one red cent. It might cost you time. It might cost you physical uh, labor, what, what the folks at Habitat for Humanity call sweat equity. But it doesn't have to cost you anything if you serve them. Now, it might. It might cost you something financially, but it doesn't necessarily have to. And Jesus set the gold standard for this. He gave us this awesome example of how all of this can play out. It's found in John, the 13th chapter, if you want to flip over there or turn there on your phone or tablet. But I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump to that text. Jesus and his disciples are gathering together in John 13 to eat the Passover meal. This was part of the sacred festival commemorating the deliverance of the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And the term Passover actually comes from when the angel of death passed over the Israelite firstborn and they were not to die. That's where they got the term. Also, just as a point of background, you need to know kind of what the infrastructure was like in the first century. Most ancient roads were dusty and dirty and had uh, animals, droppings, little presents that they left. They didn't have the law, you know, you had to pick up after your donkey if they made a mess. There was a lot of that kind of stuff on the roads. And the sandals that people wore made foot washing a common courtesy. A servant normally performed that task, but there was no servant designated or even hired or even present to do that when the disciples and Jesus arrived at the upper room. One of the disciples would have undoubtedly been willing to wash the feet of Jesus. But to offer that same service to another disciple, it would have been an admission of inferiority. Now, why would that have been a problem? Well, Luke reports in his gospel that there was a dispute at that time among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. They knew that Jesus was up here, but who was number two and who was number three? And they had, you know, they were making their best case for who was the best, who was the greatest. It would be hardly the time to play the part of a servant, especially one who's washing feet. So in the text this morning, what I want us to do as we, as we make our way through it is look at 
what I think are five very vital, important takeaways that from this story will show us how to make a big splash through serving. The first of those takeaways is no one is too important to serve. No one is too important to serve. In John chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. John's saying here that God has put Jesus in complete control. He's in charge of everything. The theological word is omnipotent. It means he has all power. He also came from heaven, John said, and soon he would be returning back to heaven. Jesus knew who he was and why he had come. He was God in the flesh. In that culture, Jesus had a status for who he was in in the Jewish culture. He was a, a Jewish teacher. They called him a rabbi. You may have heard that term before. And rabbis were a big deal, which made Jesus, just on the on those merits alone, a big deal in that culture. Someone with this kind of power, this kind of reputation and authority, would never be required to get their hands dirty. But soon you'll see that Jesus did just that. It was several years ago now, and when I say several, I mean probably 20 years or more ago now, that the wedding coordinator asked me to officiate a wedding. I didn't know the couple but I said, sure, I would do it because being a minister in a, on a staff of a large church, that's just how it worked. The coordinator had a list, and if once your name got to the top of the list, you were the one she would call and say, hey, could you do a wedding? And then when you said yes, they would move your name to the bottom of the list. And so I said, sure, it was my turn. It was a few weeks later, and she called me back and said, hey, could you do another wedding? And I said, you know, I'm always up for that, sure. But I was kind of curious. I hadn't even done the previous wedding yet. And I was, my name had already come up again. And I said, I'm kind of surprised by that. And she said, well, you know, uh, several of the younger guys said that doing weddings wasn't their job. <laughs> I mean, that just shot through me like a lightning bolt. I was like, not their job. We're all responsible to do some pastoral care. We all had agreement that this was the system and we would work within it. And now they were changing the rules. And they said they didn't even like doing weddings. I don't care what they like doing, you know. And they said they were too busy. I wasn't busy. Everybody was busy. It really ran through me. I thought to myself... I hope I never get to the point where I think I'm too busy to do something for someone. Doing a wedding, it's not the end of the world. It's not the biggest thing. It's not the most important thing. But to that couple, it was significant. It was the most important day to that bride. It was so important. You had to get it right. And you can't just do it halfway. It was important to them. It was a way that we could serve them in a way. And it gave me a great opportunity to get to know a whole lot of couples over the course of my career. But you know, the biggest thing is that if Jesus wasn't going to be inconvenienced by it, who am I to be inconvenienced by it? Well, John goes on in verses 4 and 5. He says that he, he's talking about Jesus. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, 
He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. The second takeaway is if Jesus served, everybody should serve. If Jesus served, everybody should serve. Even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he wasn't deterred by taking on this very submissive role of being the foot-washing servant. Because washing feet is not considered a normal feature of hospitality today. It is kind of difficult for us to understand exactly just how humiliating this act was. It was a necessary job. It was one that in any household, it was a common courtesy that was provided. But it was normally done by a household slave, not by the head of the household, not by the honored guest. It was actually done by the lowest-ranking slave, typically, in that home. Jesus was not only up for the task, but he actually, John says, takes on the uniform or the outfit, if you will. He takes off his outer garment, and all he has on is his undergarment, and then he wraps a towel around his waist. And imagine the jaws dropping as he's doing this, and then he goes to the first disciple And starts to wash his feet. And it's important to note that he's also scrubbing the feet of one Judas Iscariot. Who he knows in just a few hours is going to be the one who betrays him. Which leads to the cross. In 1988 through 1996, I got the privilege, for me anyway, I loved this. I got to lead probably uh, 12 to 13 different short-term mission trips to Jamaica. I know mission work in Jamaica, that's rough, right? Yeah, especially in December. That's when we did most of it. My wife was really excited about me going off to Jamaica while we were still in, you know, winter. But I got privileged to do that. And one of the things that we would do is we would start months and months ahead of the trip preparing the team for the experience that we would have over there. We wanted to be uh, real organized so that we could be as efficient as we could when we got into uh, into the business at hand on the island. And one of the things that was a high value for us as we prepped teams was to make sure that every mission team member while they were in Jamaica, they would get their hands dirty doing some ministry project. We wanted them to actually be part of the physical work project. So that might mean they got paint on themselves, or they got caulking underneath their fingernails, or maybe they got covered with sawdust at some point. But we wanted them to get themselves dirty doing the work. We wanted them to leave a piece of themselves there so that when they walked away, they really felt like, hey, I actually was part of the project. So one of the guys on one of the teams, his name was Ben, and Ben was in his late 60s. He was a grandfather, and he was on this team. And he came up to me after one of our, one of our you know, pre-team meetings, pre-mission team meetings. He said to me, he goes, hey, I just want to level with you. I'm not sure how useful I'm going to be on these work projects over there. And uh, he, he said it this way. He said, because I'm kind of old. <laughs> and I said, listen, old man, you're not getting out of work, okay? <laughs> and he laughed and we kind of said, I said, listen, man, you just do your best. You just do your best and you'll be just fine. And so when we got there, Ben went to work first day. We were working on the project, which was to put a second floor 
on a church building. It was a pretty ambitious project. And Ben worked. I mean, he applied himself. He, he had to pace himself at certain points, but he never slacked. Never. In fact, he was this amazing example to the rest of the team, most of which were younger, college age, high school, uh, young adult age. And it was kind of like, if Ben can do it, anybody can do it. And that's the reality of serving, is that if you look at it from the standpoint that if Ben can do it, or if Jesus does it, I mean, really, truthfully, shouldn't all of us consider being part of it? Everybody needs to serve. John goes on in verses 6 through 8. Listen to what he says. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Which brings us to the third takeaway in this text, and that's not everyone agrees with your service. Not everybody's going to look at it and go, hey, that's a great idea. You should do that. Some are going to push back, like this one disciple who interrupts Jesus. This is Peter. This is not the first time he's done this. But he pushes back to Jesus and he says, you're not going to wash my feet. He has no idea the symbolism of what this foot washing was all about. His only view is that Jesus is inappropriately acting the part of a slave and he's going to shut it down right there. That's what he's going to do. Shame on you three who let him wash your feet. He's probably feeling as though this is all wrong. If you can get into his mind, maybe we take a little bit of liberty here. We're not really sure what is driving him, but my guess is one of two things. Either he's looking at this going, this rabbi, you know, culturally, of all the people in this group, the rabbi should be the last person who's washing anybody's feet. Or maybe, maybe Peter's sucking up to Jesus a little bit. Listen, Lord, you're too important to be washing feet. In fact, I personally would rather have dirty feet and everyone else in here have dirty feet than to have you stoop down and wash feet. So I'm putting a stop to it right here, right now. No more foot washing. But Jesus explains to Peter, you don't understand. Oh, you'll understand later, but right now you're missing the point. He goes on in verses 9 through 11. He says, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Which brings us a fourth takeaway. Don't make it complicated. Don't make serving so complicated. That's what Peter's doing here. First he starts out saying, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Shame on the rest of you for letting him do that. And then he says, wash all of me. You know, he goes to one extreme to the other. Peter missed the point. See, guests, Jesus said, normally bathed before they would come to a dinner party. So when they got there, it was only their feet that needed to be washed. Everything else was fine. You know, sometimes we're like Peter. 
we spend so much time discussing ministry, how it should be done, how it is structured, and our personal preferences. And the truth is, by the time we get to the end of all that, there's not a lot of time to actually accomplish much. Let's not make serving so complicated. And then John says this in 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, listen, you will be blessed if you do them. The fifth takeaway, there's a lot in that last part of the text. But the thing that seemed to stand out to me was don't think it's beneath you. It's easy to think that I'm more important than certain circumstances. There are certain situations that are sometimes in my mind's eye, maybe this is true for you, that I feel like they're beneath me. But Jesus turns this whole idea upside down. Jesus' point is washing feet is to set an example of the relationships he expects in his believers. If he, the greatest of them all, arguably the greatest of all time, willingly serves his followers, then there's no excuse for any of them to despise serving others. And then he adds this at the very end. He says, and you will be blessed if you follow his example. In Mark, Mark the 10th chapter, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That's pretty clear to me. You want to be great in the kingdom? Be servant of all. But as I was going through this talk, it, it did dawn on me that if I'm being really honest with myself, and I'm probably true for some of you in this room, I don't always feel like serving. Is that true? I mean, I wish I could just every day get up and the bell rings and boom, I'm ready to serve. But I don't feel like that all the time. That doesn't mean that I can't serve or I shouldn't serve. (laughs) The truth is, there's an old saying that says, you can feel your way into an action or you can act your way into a feeling. We have a tendency to not do things that we don't feel like doing. Thus, it keeps us from doing some very important things at times. Keep in mind, feelings aren't always the best motivator or indicator for doing the things that we should do. Dr. Jerome Bruner, a Harvard psychologist from years ago, said, you're more likely to act yourself into a feeling then feel yourself into an action. Don't ever forget that. We need to choose to serve others. We need to choose to do that. It's a matter of the will. Especially if it requires getting your hands dirty because oftentimes we're more likely not to 
feel like wanting to get our hands dirty. Well, last week we talked about this idea of making a big splash and what that looked like. And I gave a couple of challenges. There were two methods of this challenge that I gave. The first was method number one, make a personal big splash. It's the idea that all of us would do something that would make a significant difference in the life of one other person or a group of people over the course of the next year. That's the goal. That's the goal, that we would make at least one big splash this year. Now, this is just part of the sermon series, but my thought was, what if we primed the pump and we all did that and we realized how rewarding that might be, that we would say, hey, you know what? Why wouldn't that, why, why do we do it just once a year? Why don't we do it once a month or once a week? Or maybe we looked around and said, hey, every, every day I'm going to try to splash on somebody in some way. Maybe serve them, maybe bless them, maybe fix a problem, whatever the case was. But all I'm asking for the sake of, of what we're doing here is that we would, all of us say, you know what? You can count on me to make one big splash with somebody or a group of people this year. And then I ask you just personally, if you would send me, uh, you know, your big splash story. It doesn't have to be, you know, a big manuscript or any kind of thesis or anything like that. Just a few lines explaining what your big splash was and then how it was received. You can send that to notes to Monty at nccalex.org. And then the method number two, the second facet of the whole big splash challenge was to join the Northeast Big Splash. This is the idea. Northeast Big Splash is when we link arms together for one huge splash that we make together. We kind of pull all of what we have and we put it together and we just kind of push it off a high bridge and we just see this big splash, right? We're partnering with Psalm 82.3, as we announced last week. As they prepare to open a brand new orphanage in July in the country of Liberia, Africa. And it will provide housing for 60 orphans there in Liberia. Psalm 82.3 is a ministry that cares for orphans, obviously. And their goal is that they will help these orphans to be adopted in their forever homes. So when you came in, as Micah mentioned, you should have gotten a big splash card. It looks something like this. And if you haven't filled one of these out yet, I want to encourage you to fill it out and be part of the big splash. There are three facets of it. I want to give you an update on where we are. For those of you who weren't here last week and heard that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online. But let me bring you up to speed. There are three pieces of this, three facets of this big splash. The first is what we call water and waste. They have to have a well, and they also have to have a sewage system to kind of facilitate this new building. And so we said, hey, we'll fund that. It's $4,000 total, but we broke it down into 400 units. These are $410 units. And last week, we had 41 of those units sponsored. That means we have 359 of those yet to go. The second facet is the agricultural piece. They have 50 acres there. They are developing uh, part of that for agricultural purposes. So there's a cost of getting the land cleared and prepared, and then also the purchase of some fruit trees, some other plants that they'll be planting, and then also livestock, all of which goes together to help them be self-sustaining. We divided this total $15,000 piece of the, 
of the big splash into 375 units, and that's at $40 a piece. And last week, we got 63 of those units uh, sponsored. That leaves 312 left. And then the last facet, facet number three, is what we call the beds. Uh, this includes a bed, mattress, linens, and a, sp- a mosquito net. I almost said spaghetti net. A mosquito net. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Uh, and, uh, and then there's some other furnishings there. The total cost of a unit here is uh, $170. There are 60 of those, one for each of the orphans. And 23 of those were sponsored last week, which leaves us 37. The total price tag for this whole event is $29,200. And last week, we got sponsors for 6840 That's 23%. And we're doing this over the four weeks of this series, and so we're kind of on pace, okay? If this is the first time you're hearing this, I want to encourage you to take some time, pray. Maybe you know what you want to do. You feel like God is really nudging you today. You can go out and stop at the big splash table and make a difference in joining all of us together. But it's going to take all of us. Everybody can help. Even if you sponsor just one $10 unit, be part of what God is doing here to make a difference in the lives of these 60 kids in Liberia. All these donations are going to be due by April the 14th, which is Palm Sunday. That's the Sunday right before Easter. That gives us seven weeks to get all of these investments in. You can pay with cash, check, or you can go online to ncclex.org backslash big splash, and you can give in that portal. I want to tell you a cool story that happened last week. After the service last week, uh, one of our college girls ran out real fast, went to the ATM and then ran back before everyone was gone so that she could participate in the, uh, in the big splash. And her mom, the way they have it set up, her mom and dad can actually see activity on her account. And I think her mom may have gotten even an alert because she took so much money out of her account. And she said, what are you doing withdrawing that money on Sunday morning? And she said, did you not hear the sermon? I'm doing the big splash. And so the mom and dad, they're great people, and they love their daughter. But then it was fair to ask, you know, what are you taking that kind of money out? But she, she did that. She didn't have the money on hand. She wanted to be part of it, and so she went and did that. I thought that was really cool. I want to encourage everyone in here, as I said last week, put all the guilt aside. Just listen to God. And if he's nudging you to be part of it, I want to invite you to join us in this. I think it's going to be so cool to see what God does. And we get to be a part of it. All right, I want to close with this story. Several years ago, I went to lunch with these uh, friends of mine. There were probably eight or ten of us. We were getting together. It was the holiday season. We were having kind of a, a Christmas lunch. And so we went to Logan's over on Harrodsburg Road. And uh, the place was packed. And so we got in there. And our waitress came, took our orders. And, and we started eating peanuts and drinking iced tea and Diet Cokes and and just catching up. A lot of us hadn't seen each other in a while, and it was a lot of fun. Well, we'd been there a while and kind of lost track of time, and I realized that there was a couple right near us that had come in after we did, ordered, got their food, ate it, and paid, and they were just leaving, and we still hadn't had our food. And so we got our our waitress's attention and said, hey, could you check on things? And she came back with the manager, and he said, we are so sorry. He started apologizing. He said, your waitress put the order in the, uh, 
in the system, you know, they type it all in, but it didn't make it to the kitchen for some reason. Your order's in now, and it'll be out in just a few minutes. Well, I am so sorry for the inconvenience. And so he said, your meals are free. Oh, living large. Merry Christmas to me, you know? So about that time, our food comes and it arrives. And one of the guys who's in, the, in, in the, this group, he has more money than he has sense. He says, he says, what if we, since we don't have to pay for our meal, what if we take the money that we were going to pay the meal with and we just give it to this waitress of ours? Because we'd found out she was a single mom, had a couple kids, things were kind of tight. She was working really, really hard. And we all thought that was a great idea. And he said, I'll, uh, I'll put a hundred bucks down to start. I thought, whoa, man, this is rich for my blood, but this is going to be fun, right? I opened my wallet. I had no cash. <laughs> but my best friend, John Schmidt, is sitting next to me. He did not hear anything about the fact that our meal was free because he was kind of on the end of things and we were talking and carrying on. He was talking on the other end. He hands me a $20 bill and says, here, this is for my meal. I didn't know. He didn't know about the meal being free. I thought he was talking about the tip. So I put it in my pocket and then I knew I didn't have any money, but now I had 20. And so I was going to get to play with John's money. And so what happened was when John ate his food and he left, and the guys started putting all this money together. And we gave it to the waitress. She went back and came back. She's got tears running down her face. We're putting our coats on, getting ready to leave. And she says, thank you. Thank you so much. You have no idea what this means to me and my kids, especially at Christmas. And you know the truth is, at that moment, I wish I had had $100 I could have put down on that truth is, I don't know what she was going through as a single mom, but I know what happened that day. Those guys got really crazy, and they left this huge, huge, big splash kind of tip in that lady's life. And I will tell you this, I only had John's 20 invested, (laughs) and I felt like it was the greatest thing I've been a part of in my life. I mean, this was so That's the kind of people I want us to be. That we get to splash in somebody's life and make such a difference for them, but also we get the benefit, the joy of seeing that and knowing we had a part in making a significant difference in somebody's life. Let's make 2019 the year that we splash on a lot of people. Maybe this becomes part of our culture maybe more so than it is. Let's make a big splash. Let's do it individually and let's do it corporately. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example that you set for us through Jesus who washed his disciples' feet. No one was more out of place than he was as he was washing their feet as the rabbi of those disciples. Help us not to think that we're too important to serve others. If Jesus would do it, then help us to see how we could do that. Lord, help us not to be afraid to get our hands dirty. 
Help us not to be afraid to be inconvenienced in order to help somebody out. And Lord, help us to follow your example. If Jesus would serve, surely then each one of us could serve. And even if somebody is far from you and they never ever come even to that point of relationship with you, at least they would know that we love them and that you love them through the way we serve them. I pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.